Good morning. Welcome to this service of the Houghton Wesleyan Church. We are happy to have you with us this morning as we worship together. Please stand with me for the call to worship. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much that in your grace you brought each of us together here in this place this morning. We come expectant, Lord. We come to worship. We come to learn how it is you want us to live. And, Lord, we pray that we might leave with hope in our hearts for what you have taught us to go forth and exercise our faith and love one another and you most of all better. Father, help us to practice our faith in the coming week through loving others. In your name, amen.
again worship today. I'm going to take you, invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here uh, in worship this morning. fighting over who's up next. That's okay. Pastor wanted me to just remind you I was going to leave it out this service, but um, perhaps some of you are new or uh, haven't found a small group over the years, and I just want to announce that there are two new adult small groups in our uh, group of actually about eight or nine or ten small groups. Some of them aren't so well announced because they've already got their groups together. The two new ones are Alex and Rachel Wright down here on Route 19 are starting a group. And um, also the Brubaker's home, Terry Page, will be leading a group. Now these are adult groups that meet some Sunday night, one here in the basement of the church, in our homes, some of them Sundays, some of them on Mondays, some of them on Thursdays. You go to the website and you see the groups. But if you're interested, there is a sign-up for those two new groups uh, back in the back of the sanctuary. And you don't have to sign up to come. You could even give a phone call to somebody. But these groups are starting this week. You may also see in the bulletin that several women's Bible studies are starting this week. The following week, a week away, we're starting to restart Logos Bible study groups for college students. These are local homes, community homes, open to a group of college students, and it'll be college student-led Bible studies. And uh, there are some sign-up sheets there. There are four homes open. And um, you can also, again, email or look at the website or call to church for more information. So we're inviting college students to sign up for those uh, Logos Bible study groups. Those meet Mondays and Tuesdays, but not this week, next week. Are you totally confused? And then I just would love to uh, remind you to pray for a new group of college Sunday School, which is meeting during this hour, 11 o'clock hour, in the Good Shepherd Room. And uh, let's just be praying that we can reach out, be friendly, and uh, welcome our college students to Houghton Church. These are all ways of uh, connecting with one another as the church. And as you look in the bulletin, you see a number of inserts, and you may look at that sometimes and think, wow, there's so many things happening. But that's the church being the church. You know, we're connecting with each other, and I'm convinced we... We grow spiritually by serving each other. And so any ways that we can serve, whether you're talking about working with children, youth, adults, whatever kinds of ways that we allow ourselves to be connected to others, uh, open our lives to them, serve others, uh, God uses that to uh, continue to draw us closer to him. So let me invite you to uh, think seriously about being involved in any of these ministries as well as the groups. Uh, Last week we collected... The uh, Matthew 820 initiative uh, refugee jars after starting those in May and through the summer. And last week we collected them. You see in the bulletin about $2,400. Actually, since then, we've gotten a bit more. We're now up over $2,800. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for uh, your giving. Uh, this represents a lot of people counting ones. Uh, as we were giving $1 a week and a lot of change. I think about $600 in change came in. If 
you're looking for a ministry, the next time we have this, do this, I'll volunteer to count the change. Roll it up. Uh, but it's, it's, it's astounding. And uh, they're actually, actually, they said to me this morning, they're still counting some of the change. But uh, just thank you for your generosity. And more than anything, the money is great. And we're happy to, to help World Vision and the Western Church work with refugees. But really asking God to just work in our hearts about caring for the people who are most vulnerable, most needy in our world. And refugees are certainly in that group. So if you, if you didn't last week uh, pick up a jar or a booklet and you would like to, they're available in the back foyer, also some up here in front. And uh, you don't, this is you know, no obligation to participate. But if it's something you're interested in, I invite you to pick up one of those and, and uh, use it as a means of just uh, opening our hearts to this particular group of people in the world who have great needs. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as the ushers come forward uh, and sing the doxology with me. Father, you have given us so much. Thank you. Please help us with joyful hearts to give back what is yours in the first place, Lord, and to trust you for provision through the week. Thank you. In your name, amen.
to think about God as our vision. It is imperative that we come to God in a, in a frame, of, frame of mind of needing him, recognizing our need of him. One of the ways we do that is to confess our sins. And so I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, cleanse us from all our offenses and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength. Through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. As we continue in prayer, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, I invite you to join me. Father, as we come to this moment of prayer, we are reminded of your grace and of our need. We thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ, your love to us that knows no boundaries, no limits, no end. Father, this morning as we think about our lives and the world, we're reminded of of your people around the world who, who suffer greatly for their faith in you. We pray that especially this morning you would, you would make yourself known to the Christians in Uzbekistan. In this time of leadership transition in the nation, we pray that you will bless the church as they face uncertain days. Give them strength. Give them a heart of love and compassion And give them peace to bear witness to you in difficult circumstances. Father, we pray for those who are refugees in the world. It's mind-boggling to think how many millions of people are displaced, homeless, living in camps that are difficult places to be. We pray your grace upon them. and Keep our hearts tender to their needs. We pray that you'd bring healing in places of conflict and war and in recent places of recent disasters and terror strikes. We thank you, Father, for your ministry in this church and beyond. We pray today for the, uh, all of the prayer groups in our church that meet at various times and in various places during each week. And we ask for your grace upon each gathering of people who come to to pray, to give thanks to you, to intercede for this church and the needs of the world. May each group as they gather sense your spirit present at work, hearing, doing. Father, we pray not only for our own church, but 
for uh, churches around us. And today we, we pray for the Sojourners Mennonite Fellowship in Belfast and Pastor Connie Finney. May your blessing be upon this gathering of believers. So fill their hearts with love for each other, for you, for their neighbors, that they will bear witness to you in all that they do in Belfast and beyond. Father, this is a, uh, a painful day in our nation and for much of the world. In some ways it's difficult to believe that 15 years have passed since we watched the events of 9-11 unfold. We remember the pain and the death and destruction. We remember feelings of confusion and anger. Lord, we pray that as your church was a place of refuge 15 years ago, that once again, even on this anniversary, the hearts of of, of our nation and of other nations of the world will seek you. Let us be the kinds of churches that make seeking you easy. We are the kind of churches that welcome People who are looking for you and looking for answers. Who feel the pain and the heartache. And Father, may this event today be a means of of bringing a unity rather than division. We sense so much divisiveness in our nation right now. Across a number of avenues. We pray, Father, that we will be the kind of people and your church will be the kind of church that breeds unity, that breeds love and compassion rather than anything else. Father, we pray for not only the needs of the world beyond us, but also our own. We pray for those who are grieving and ask for your healing, comforting presence. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain. We pray especially today for Cliff McDonald, Marilyn Maine, for Mildred Berry and Doris Asepian, for Blanche Weaver and Tammy Dunmire, for Luke Heisinger, Wade Marsh, and Sheldon Emerson, for Bob Jobert and Laurel Buecher, and for Bill Getty and Warren and Ella Woolsey, for Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Beverett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others for whom we feel a burden and for whom we pray today. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers. In the busyness of life, when temptations enslave us and circumstances disappoint us, when frustrations discourage us, through it all, we give you thanks for your never-ending grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. So that whether we define our moments and our days as success or disappointment, the promise of your spirit leads us to trust and to faithfulness. It is in the name of Christ that we pray, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All I want so dear built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought came, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Now Our New Testament reading is taken from the book of Galatians, verses 1 through 10, and then 20 and 21. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the hymn.
Please be seated. Everybody wants freedom. If we took a poll, we said, would you rather be in bondage, in prison, or free? I'm pretty sure we'd get close to 100% freedom. There might be an outlier somewhere, but I'm pretty sure we'd, I'm pretty sure we'd get close to 100%. You watch, uh, I've come to the conclusion that most all of the, the movies that are produced have something to do with freedom. People being set free from a circumstance or a situation or nations being set free. Someone in prison being freed. We continually are thinking about freedom. It's as though it's a part of of our DNA. As though it's it's ingrained into who we are. That we're always choosing, looking for, yearning for freedom. And the question I've been asking myself is why? Where does that come from? And for a lot of people, maybe not so much for us, but a lot of people, the answer to that question is surprising to them. Because I'm convinced that this yearning, this this inner desire for freedom comes from God. Now that confuses a lot of people because there are a lot of people who tend to think, and quite frankly, some of the reason they think this is the church's fault... But they they think God is all about anything but freedom. God is about confining us. God is about restricting us. God is continually saying, no, 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 no. But that's not the image we get of God from the very beginning. From the beginning, God is about freedom. And in the passage we read from Genesis this morning, we see that. After talking about creating the human human beings, it says God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, go live in freedom and reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And I like the way the New Living Translation says, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. He said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for your food. I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And God said that was good. And when we read that, we see God's created intent for us was freedom. Now, the reason we think maybe it's not is because in chapter 2, God says, but. And when you come to the middle of chapter 2, he says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. And we read that passage and we read those words and what do we focus on? Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We focus on the negative, the the tree that they're not allowed to eat. And we miss completely what it says before that. That God says you can eat freely from every other tree in the garden. Just except one. And I think Adam and Eve get enamored with that one tree. When you read the story, I get a sense that they can't stop thinking about that one tree. 
And, and we do the same thing. We've been given the freedom, all of this freedom in our, in our being, in our DNA, in how God created us. And what do we do? We have a tendency to choose bondage. We have a tendency to choose the thing that, as God says, will enslave us. And when Paul writes to the Galatians, he is writing a letter about freedom. Because these, they are a group of people, a group of Christians, who have chosen bondage over freedom. As far as we can tell, the background of this letter is that there are some, some Jewish Christians, probably from the Jerusalem church, from the mothership, that has come out of, of there and has come to Galatia and trying to tell them, no, you guys are wrong. Paul went there on one of his missionary journeys. He preached the gospel. These are basically all Gentiles in the Galatian church. They're all Gentiles. And Paul says, you've come to Christ. This is awesome. Let me nurture you and disciple you. And now these other Christians come and say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. This isn't right. You're not really Christians. Because in order to be really Christians, you have to be Jewish first. You have to embrace all the law. You have to follow all the laws of Moses. You have, to, you have to become Jewish. And once you become Jewish, then you can become Christian. You cannot circumvent that. And this is such a big problem among the Galatian church. That, that even though, well, put it this way. The, Galatian, the letter to the Galatians is not written to a church in a city. You know, Philippians is written to the church in Philippi, and Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, and Corinthians to the church in Corinth. But Galatia is not a city, it's an area. It is, it's sort of like, uh, you know, western New York. And it's written to this area where there are lots of churches. And I find it fascinating that Paul can write one letter to all of these churches and deal with the primary problem all of them are dealing with. It's that widespread. It's that much of an issue in every one of the churches. And I suspect it's probably an issue in our church as well. Because we all wrestle with, with, being, with choosing bondage, the bondage of human forms over the freedom of God. Paul says it's foolishness. He says it here in... Verses 6 and 7, he says it again in chapter 3 a couple of times as well. He says, you guys are fools. Why would you do this? Why would you choose that? It makes me think of all the ways in which people try to scam us in our technology age. Right? I mean, you, you get the phone calls, the emails, you know, the, the internet boxes that pop up. You know, people are trying to scam us. And when anyone accidentally or not realizing it gives into one of those scams, you feel so foolish. In fact, they've studies tell us that a lot of people who are scammed never tell anyone because they're so embarrassed about it. it you know, you feel foolish. And here are the Galatians and Paul saying to them, look, you've been scammed and you know you've been scammed and you're still doing it. What's wrong with you? And there's something in our human nature that believes that our, the forms that we create, the rituals, the ways that we do Christianity are more important than the freedom of God. The problem is, every time we choose forms over God's freedom, we limit God. 
Our forms are continually limiting God. We say, this is how God works. This is how God does it. And we say that as if God could not do things any other way. And when people say, well, that may be true for you, but God did this for me this way, we disregard it. We say that can't be true. Paul is, is saying to, to Peter, he says, you know, I, I confronted Peter because he was saying, Paul, you're not preaching, you're not, because Peter was saying with the Gentiles, he would eat with them and act like they didn't have to be Jewish. But as soon as the Jews from Jerusalem showed up, Peter stopped eating with them. And he said, well, you know, I changed my mind, now you do. Maybe God doesn't work that way. I think maybe these people are right. And, and Peter gave in to that, just like we do. And the forms that we create, however helpful they may be, however they may nurture us and, and help us experience Christ, are never more important than the freedom God has given us that allows him to be God and to not be limited. Right? I think that one of the ways we do this is that we have created this formula, particularly in the evangelical church, about how people come to faith. Many of you would, would remember this, but when I was young, there, were, there was a, a system of telling people about Jesus that was developed, and it was helpful, and it was good, and there were nuances of it, but basically, it took people through these three or four steps of coming to Christ, and there's a lot of value to it. And it helped a lot of people. But we came to so embrace that, that we came to the place of saying, if not with our words, certainly with our actions, you can't come to Jesus unless you come through that path. And, And so we have these formulas and we ask people, so when did you do this? And when did you do that? And and did you do this? And did you do that? And if they haven't, what's our response? Well, you aren't quite there yet. Now, here's what I find fascinating. When I read the Gospels, I don't really see a lot of those formulas we've created in the people who encounter Jesus. And it, it bothered me for a long time because I would read these stories of people whose lives were changed and try to find the formula, and I couldn't find it. You take Zacchaeus, for instance. You know, here's a, here's a guy who's a sinner, he's a tax collector, the people hate him. In fact, you know, if you went to Sunday school or you know that story, you, you know he was short. And Jesus came to town and they weren't about to let him peek through the crowd to see, so he climbed up in a tree. And Jesus walks by and like A.J. said last week, Jesus says to him, hey, you got any food? And, and he, he wants a meal. It is amazing how many times Jesus asked people to feed him. But he... So Zacchaeus climbs down from the tree and he runs home and he has this meal with Jesus. And what does the scripture say? He says to them, he says to Jesus, I'm going to give away what I have. I'm going to, I'm going to give back to the people I've cheated. I, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And Jesus says what? Well, that's great, but you haven't followed the formula yet. No, he says, salvation has come to this house. And you could say, well, there's an underlying that, but if it was... As important as we tend to make it, I would think it would be clearer. And I'm not saying that the formulas can't be important and helpful. They can be. They are. Most of the forms that we create have great benefit. But we just have to remember God's bigger than the forms. 
Maybe for some of you, you wrestle with, with having the kinds of experiences in your life that people tell us we should have. If you do, I understand because I wrestled with that for a long time. You know, I, I've grown up in the church. In fact, being a pastor is sort of our family business. You know, there's 10 or 11 of us in my family. It's what we do. And, I, you know, I was born on a Wednesday and I was in church on Sunday. And probably if they had church on Friday, I would have been there on Friday probably. And, and I was on church virtually, I mean, every Sunday since then and lots and lots of days in between. And I was raised in Sunday school and the children's programs and the youth group. And, and, I, and I know, I grew up knowing all about Jesus. And yet there was something in me that people said, that's great. But have you had an experience with Jesus? And I spent, I can't even tell you how many dozens and dozens, I don't know, maybe it's hundreds of times, at an altar rail or beside my bed, praying for that experience so I would know I was really a follower of Jesus. And all the while, my heart wanted nothing more than to be a follower of Jesus. And it was not just confusing to me, it was disruptive to my life. And finally... I came to the place with some help of some other people of realizing I didn't need that experience with Jesus. Some people do because they knew nothing of Jesus. I didn't need that experience. I didn't need a 180 degree turn. In fact, doing that would have put me in the exact opposite place I should have been. <laughs> what I needed to do is just simply embrace the fact that I love Jesus and the grace of God in my life. Instead of looking for an experience that people said I needed to have. And once I came to that place, you know what I found? I found freedom. I found freedom. And all of a sudden I realized God is not limited to the forms that we create. And for some people, this is the path and that's what they need. And for other people, it's this path. The point is, it's coming to Jesus. What I find is that when we get stuck in those forms, which, you know, we sometimes want to use the term legalism and that may work as well. But often legalism has a sense of what we're talking about has no merit. But we're talking about things that have value. It's just that they're, they're in the wrong place. That we give them the wrong amount of value. But when we get stuck in the forms, when the forms become more important to us than Jesus, one, reason, one way we know that is become, we become very critical and judgmental of people who have a different form. And our forms are usually based on our experience. So, you know, my temptation is to say to people, look, you don't need those kinds of forms at all. And in fact, if you follow those forms, eh, I don't know, something's wrong with you. You you shouldn't have to do that. That's just as wrong as saying you have to follow the form and, and being suspicious of my thoughts and my journey. We all have these things, and it tends to be our experience, and that's how we judge it, because what's right is what? My experience, right? That's how we judge, and we become critical and become judgmental. And those are the moments when we start, our our primary question driving us is, who's in and who's out? Who's done the right things, and who hasn't done enough? We become very judgmental about people who we don't think have experienced what we think they should experience. We, and what we do is we miss out on what God's doing in people's lives. 
I remember I was probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years old. I was traveling with my dad. He was going to speak someplace. And, and, uh, and we were on the road traveling, uh, I don't know, maybe a few hours from our house. And, and it's funny how you remember certain things. I remember we, we stopped for dinner. And what I remember is it was a Ponderosa restaurant. I have no idea why I remember that. But I do. I, maybe it's because it was all you can eat. And I thought that was pretty great. But I just remember sitting in this restaurant and we were talking and, and a friend of my dad's who was also a pastor in that area came over, saw him and they began to talk. And I'm just sitting there listening to this conversation, eating. And they're talking about, this man was talking about his son. And the pastor was saying how he was lamenting his son's decisions that his son was making in his life. And he was so upset and he was asking my dad to pray for him and to pray for his son because his son was, his life was just completely going off the rails. And, and he can hardly, in the, the father couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat, he was just so concerned about his son, whose life was a train wreck. He knew everything, and he'd given it all up. And so my dad was very gracious to him, and, and the man eventually left, and I said to my dad, what's up with his son? You know, I'm picturing like you are, prison, drugs, you know, he's living on the street, he's, I, you know, I don't know. And my dad said to me, he kind of smiled, because he... He didn't quite buy into everything that this pastor friend did. But he said to me, well, he said his son's a part of the Jesus people. And I'm thinking, as a 12-year-old, that's not a good thing? Wouldn't it be good to be a part of Jesus people? And I asked my dad, and he said to me, well, he said, you know, you've got to understand... The Jesus people is, you know, they, they move to California, you know, they, they live on the beach, they, they wear, in those days, hippie clothes, you know, beards, long hair, necklaces, they, uh, they sing songs with a guitar, and they're not in the hymnal, and they, <laughs> and they, you know, they, and, and they, you know, all these things, and, and they dance, and they speak in tongues, and, you know, he said, you know, for him, it, it's just so foreign to how he has ever encountered God. He cannot see anything but destruction from this. And there, I'm not to say the Jesus people movement didn't have some issues. But his son had, was simply experiencing Jesus in a different way. And he couldn't see that. Couldn't see past the, the only way to encounter God. And it was driving a wedge between him and his son. And see, that's one of the issues with this is that it's not just about us. It's always about other people. Because if, if we are really committed to, to the bondage of our forms and the way we see things and the boxes that we create, when we do that, we want to make sure everybody else is in bondage too. And quite frankly, when you're in that bondage, freedom is difficult for us. We don't want people to be free. We want people to, to see things the way we do and to live in that because we live in it. And the joy of the Lord is not a part of our lives. But it's never just about us. It's always about other people. And, and that's why Paul says here, he talks in, in verses 8 and 9 about how... He said, if those who are preaching a different gospel, may God's curse be upon them. Twice he says that. That is pretty strong language for Paul. 
And you'll notice in this letter, it's so different from most of his other letters that he begins by saying, I thank my God for you. I'm so happy to see what's going on. It's great to to see what's happening in your church. And he spends almost the whole first chapter of most of his letters with these kinds of of accolades for them. But this letter, he gets right at it. You guys are fools and may God be cursed if you're preaching this kind of gospel. Because it's that dangerous. It's not just dangerous for, for us. It's dangerous for the people that we influence. For the people who are led astray by the words that we speak and the life that we live. That's more interested in preserving our forms than in people encountering Jesus. At the heart of of all that Paul is writing here is this sense of, we don't really trust the grace of God. People who are lack of a better term, people who wrestle with legalism, and let's be honest, we all do in some form. We all wrestle with it in some form. People who wrestle with legalism are basically saying, I don't really accept the grace of God. I don't want God to be that gracious. I want God to be gracious, just not that gracious. And Paul writes in verse 21... I do not consider the grace of God meaningless. And I suspect he writes that because these false teachers, these these people from Jerusalem are saying, Paul doesn't want anything to do with the grace of God. He says, oh no, I want the grace of God. And I suspect they're saying Paul's kind of grace, that's really cheap grace. It's easy grace. And Paul says, no, 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 it's just grace. Because freedom is always, always always rooted in the grace of God. It's always about God coming to us because when we get stuck in our bondage to forms and rituals and legalism, what what is our life primarily about? It's primarily about me. It's what I want. It's what I want to do. It's how I see things. But the grace of God, freedom, is always about God. It's about giving God the freedom to act the way he wants to, to work with people the way he knows is best, to bring them into the kingdom in the way that they will experience him that might look different from the norms that we feel comfortable with. That's the grace of God. And when we begin to challenge or distrust the grace of God about other people, We're doing it to ourselves, too. And that's a scary thing. If you had to pick one passage in, I think, the whole book of Galatians that would say this is the hinge point, everything comes back to this. This book that with one of its themes is about freedom. I think it comes back to Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not about me. It's about him. And how do I live? How do I live in the freedom that God wants me to live in? By surrendering to Christ. Because it's always about Christ. Always comes back to Christ. Everything of the freedom of God is about Christ. And as someone has said, the people who have Christ and everything else have no more than the people who have Christ and nothing else.
because it's always about Jesus. The struggle for us is that we so often take good things, helpful things, things that have been instrumental in our lives, and we, we make them the center. This summer, John and Andrew and I went down to Pittsburgh to watch a couple of, the, uh, the, a couple of baseball games. The Cubs were playing the Pirates. They're big Cubs fans. And uh, we went to PNC Park, and if you've never been down there, it's a beautiful place. We've been there a number of times. We love going to games there. It's a beautiful stadium. It's set on the banks of, the, I think, the Mahongahela River. And uh, you can see from the, you can see there on the, looking the, toward the outfield, the, the skyscrapers, the bridge. Uh, it, it's just a beautiful setting. It's a beautiful stadium, the architecture. And we love going there. And it's a wonderful place to, to watch a game. But what if when we got down there, we got to the outside of the stadium and started looking at it and th- and we just spent the next three hours just walking around the stadium, admiring the beauty of it. And we, we walked from one block down to the next block and all around, and we kept circling it, just admiring the architecture and the scenery and the statues that they have outside and, and all the, the, the vendors and everything outside the stadium. And we, we, we would stop and we would say, wow, that is a, that's an amazing piece of architecture right there. And, and look at the bridge that you can see. And while the game was going on, all we did was walk around the outside of the stadium admiring its beauty. Anybody who watched us do that would say to us, you guys are idiots. What is wrong with you? That's why you came here? You spent all that money for tickets and this is what you did? What is wrong with you? You're fools. And they'd be right. Totally irrational. And I think there is something of that in what Paul's saying to us here. We get so enamored looking at what houses the action. We forget there's a whole lot of stuff that Christ wants to do. We get stuck in the shell. We get stuck in the forms that are good and wonderful and beautiful and helpful. But not more than Jesus. And freedom in Christ is letting God be God. Letting Jesus do what he wants to do in the way that he wants to do it. With whomever he wants to do it. And living in the freedom of God's grace. I suspect there is at least something in our lives that might tempt us to walk around the stadium instead of really engaging the freedom that's ours in Christ. It's a great opportunity today to ask God to change our focus and to set us free. Father, we want to thank you that you are gracious and merciful, that you've given us this amazing gift of freedom. Forgive us that we sometimes choose bondage, that we turn good things 
into things that are more important than you. Good experiences into experiences that are more important than you. Forgive us. Set us free. Help us to help us to truly understand and experience the words of Charles Wesley. My chains fell off. My heart was free. Rose went forth and followed thee. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and to sing that great hymn of Charles Wesley's. And to think about the imagery that he paints for us here of freedom in Christ.
also say amen. Wow. Wow. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.